We also appreciate Brother Billy leading our singing tonight. And I know that we have a number of guests, two of which are some of our favorite people. Jared's mom and dad, we're glad that they're here. And Charlie informed me early that they were here. And so we're glad that they're here tonight and hope, hope they have a great stay and enjoyable time. We are looking tonight at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at the context surrounding our verse of the week, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Now you remember last week I asked, how many of you have kept up and memorized every verse? And you remember the response, don't you? Not one soul. I have faith somebody tonight is going to raise their hand and say, you know what, I caught up. I guess I was wrong. You know, I've got a $100 bill in my office. The first young person that learns all those verses, I'll give you that $100 bill. How's that? Do what? You got to be young? I got to put a cap on it sometime. Do what now? Look, I'm willing to get down on my knees if I have to. Whatever it takes. But I do invite you to try to memorize these verses. I think they'll help you. I know they'll help you. Tonight as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want to talk for a little bit about some keys to a good life. I don't know how many people would say that they do not want a good life. I suspect just about everybody would be on board with wanting a good life, a quality life, a rich life. When Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talked about those who would love life and see good days. I, for one, love life and I want to see good days, don't you? And I think, that, I think that the Bible gives us a prescription or a recipe, if you please, for a good life, to enjoy a good living. And there are a lot of folks in the world today, they don't enjoy what we have because they don't have what we have. The best life that you can ever live is to choose to live a Christian life. The best life is the Christian life because it is the blessed life. And so when you think about living today, I want to call attention to what Paul talks about here regarding life and enjoying a good life. I want to begin by, first of all, calling attention to a declaration that he makes about life. Now, what Paul says here is not new to any of us. As a matter of fact, you remember Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. And there are a lot of folks that, for whatever reason, are sometimes trying to reinvent the wheel. And they're looking for happiness. They're looking for a lot of things in life. The problem is they're looking in all the wrong places, aren't they? So what Paul does, first of all, he talks about the quality of life. 
Now he's going to move from that to talk about the quantity of life. And let me just say this. I have reached a point in time in my life when I am far more concerned with a quality life than quantity. I have visited some folks that, quite frankly, do not have any type of quality life, at least from my vantage point, haven't you? And so I want to enjoy a good life, and I want to enjoy a quality life. There are some folks, they just exist. So what Paul does, he begins by talking about something that is very elusive for a lot of folks. It's called contentment. There are a lot of people in our world today, they want contentment, they want to be satisfied in life, but for whatever reason, it is elusive. And so what Paul does is define for us contentment and what it's all about. And Paul says that we can enjoy a contented life, doesn't he? Now you think about where you are in your life. If someone were to ask you to rate on a scale of 1 to 10 your contentment, where would you check the box? Would you say that you're totally satisfied, you're a 10? Would you say you're an 8? Would you say you're a 5? Or below 5? There are a lot of folks in the world, they are so discontent and dissatisfied, it's heartbreaking. It really is. And yet Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now if you want to know one of the keys to a good life, it's understanding that contentment comes by godly living, doesn't it? Didn't Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 4, you remember he said, exercise yourself unto godliness. When you buy into the Christian life and you begin to live for God day in and day out, what you come to understand is there is a quality to your life, isn't there? Look at the life of Jesus. It was said of Jesus that He went about doing good. You know, there are a lot of people in the world today, they're self-serving, they're self-centered. And one of the real joys of life is serving other people, isn't it? And you think about trying to be content. And one of the things that godliness tells us is that we're to serve one another. And so Jesus served other people. And you can find contentment and happiness and satisfaction by serving other people. Now, as you think about where you are in your life, listen to what Paul said over in Philippians chapter 4. Paul, as you well know, faced a lot of adversity, a lot of trial, a lot of difficulty, many, many hardships in life. And Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4 and about verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am, therein to be content. What are you saying, Paul? Paul is saying that he has learned to be content in life. I don't think contentment is just a natural byproduct of life, do you? I think it's something that we have to work toward. 
that we have to build toward. And Paul, when you look at the complex and difficult situations he found himself in from day to day and time to time, Paul is saying, look, I have learned. I have learned contentment. I've learned how to be content. And so that says to me that sometimes what we need to do is step back and maybe go back to school and re-educate ourselves on what contentment's all about and how we gain it in life. So first of all, he talks about the quality of life, but then the quantity of life. And before I move to this idea of quantity, drop down and look at verse 8. Paul said, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You know, there are people around the world, if they had what we have today, materially speaking, they would feel as if they were immensely wealthy, rich beyond words or description. And Paul is saying, look, contentment can be found, it can be had. And you know, when you have the basic necessities of life, that can breed contentment, can it? But now, let's think about just a moment or two the quantity of life. And listen to what Paul said. I mentioned a moment ago, Paul is not reinventing the wheel here. He's not saying anything that we haven't heard before or that we haven't thought about. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, we brought nothing into this world. And then listen to what he says. It is certain, and I would underline that, it is certain we can carry nothing out. You remember Job in the long ago in Job chapter 1? Job faced all of those great hardships. And Job said, Naked came I into this world, and naked shall I depart. I came into this world with nothing, and I will leave with nothing. Now you think about all the things that you have, that you have accumulated or amassed up until this point in time in your life. I'm not trying to be morbid or negative in any way. But all of the things that you've accumulated, somebody will be the beneficiary of those things, won't they? Now, maybe you want to be buried with a certain item that you possess. But I can tell you right now, you're not going to use it. I mean, I've seen people, I have seen people buried with, you just wouldn't believe. I can think of a fellow right now that had the opportunity to work for Elvis Presley. Elvis gave him a gold watch. I have no idea of the value of that watch, but I would assume it was a costly watch. His family buried him with that watch. Now, that was their decision. But in my mind, I'm thinking, why? Why? So Paul here is saying, look, to understand that we came into this world with nothing and we will leave with nothing. Puts life into perspective, doesn't it? Some years ago, I had the opportunity to talk to 
the granddaughter of N.B. Hardiman. Brother Hardiman, as you well know, his name is synonymous with Freed Hardiman University. She told me that Brother Hardiman used to say before he died, and he was well up in years when he died, he used to ask the question, what's going to happen to all my trinkets? Now, if you were to drive over to Forest Hill Church Building, in their library or in the school's library, they have a lot of N.B. Hardiman's artifacts. They've got a lot of material, a lot of things that at one time he enjoyed. Brother Hardiman has been dead almost 60 years. Those things are of little value. They are of no value to him now, right? Listen again to Job. Job said, man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. How long are you going to be here? Not long ago I mentioned the fact that Based on what the psalmist said, Moses said, we might live to be 80 years of age. He said we might live to be 70, we might live to be 80, but he said it's soon cut off and we fly away. And so I said, you could break that down into four quarters and ask the question, what quarter of life are you in? So I went to get my hair cut a few days after that. I'm sitting in the chair. First thing, the lady cutting my hair asked me, or said to me rather, I'm in the third quarter. I had to think about it for a minute. Life will get by you, won't it? So again, you think about trying to use the resources that you have and maintain a balance. There's a second thing that Paul addresses in this context. First, he talks about some declarations that relate to life, but secondly, some dangers that we might face in life, and those dangers are very real. They have to do with wealth and the wealthy. So what about the dangers? Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and, many, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. First of all, what is the proper attitude toward wealth. Is there anything inherently wrong with material gain or monetary gain? No, there's not anything wrong. Go back and read about Abraham. Abraham was said to have been extremely wealthy, very rich. It's not how much wealth you possess, but rather it's what you do with your wealth and your attitude toward your wealth. I remember sitting at a breakfast table, table with a friend of mine, a fellow that, well, a fellow I've known for many, many years, quite older 
quite older than I. And I remember he said on that occasion, he said, you know, there is nothing that I want in life at this point in time. Not any, he said, you know, there was a time when I always wanted something. Another gun, this, that, whatever. He said, but I'm just at a point where I really don't want anything, don't need anything. Again, there's nothing wrong with material goods, monetary gain, if we maintain the proper relationship to those things. I don't know about you, but I appreciate nice things. I'm grateful to have money. And I, I can't stand here tonight and say that there haven't been things that I've wanted and that I haven't gone out and gotten. I was thinking this afternoon about, it's been probably two or three years ago, Jared and I, we were sitting in my office and we were talking back and forth and I was telling him about, I'm not going to say what it was, but I was telling him about something that I was looking at on eBay. And so I'm looking at it and I said, what do you think? So I flipped my phone to him and he looks at it, he flips my phone back to me. He said, guess what? You're a high bidder. This was not a cheap item by any means. I'm telling you, it was not at all cheap. Well, I ended up buying it. And from that, I have probably bought more than I should. And I guess Jared's been the culprit. But nonetheless, you know, there are things that you want that you appreciate. This, this past summer, I got to thinking about wanting to trade and get something that I would like. And so I started looking around, and the more I started looking around, the more that I, well, you, you know, your tastes grow as you look at things. And so I started looking for a truck. And I thought, well, I don't want just a truck. I want a truck, if you know what I mean. So I showed it to Jared. And Jared said, now you're talking about a truck. Let me tell you what, next thing I know, I have a truck. Somebody said, you're not a truck person. You're not a truck guy. Might not be, but I am now. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, we all have wants. But to maintain a proper relationship to those things. Paul said that there are a lot of folks in the world they're so, they're so focused on getting rich and acquiring things. What happens is they lose their focus. Didn't Jesus say, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? You ever thought about it like this? For somebody who's in the world who is amassing more and more and more, as they get close to the end of life, really they have a lot but they don't have anything, do they? In one sense, they're wealthy. In another sense, they are in poverty. And then here's somebody who really doesn't have a lot by the standards of the world, but they are rich in their faith. And they have been laying up treasures in heaven daily. And they've been trying to focus on spiritual things. As they grow older in life, don't you think they get richer? Don't you think that they 
come to appreciate life more and the hope beyond this life? It'd really be sad to come to the end of, of this world or come to the end of life in this world and have a billion dollars in the bank but have no faith in Almighty God. That'd be tragic, wouldn't it? So what Paul is saying is there's always a danger associated with wealth. There's a danger associated with material gain, monetary gain. You remember in Luke 12, Jesus taught a parable about a rich farmer? And in the narration of that parable, if you read it, some at least six times, I think, he employs the personal pronoun, I, I, I. Four times, he uses the pronoun, my. You get the idea, don't you? It's all about, it's all about self. It's all about what I'm doing. Business was booming. Life was good. So much so that he's going to pull his barns down, build greater. There, he's going to bestow all of his crops and goods. He said, then I can sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. But what was it God said? You are foolish. This night, your soul is required. You're going to be in eternity. And all these things you've accumulated, guess what? Somebody else is going to enjoy them, right? So, to just understand, there has to be a balance. So, what about our attitude toward wealth? And then from the vantage point, let's just say we have acquired wealth, and we have. So what should our actions be? Well, drop down, look at verse 17, if you would. In verse 17, number one, Paul says you need to maintain humility. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Some translations say high-minded nor to trust, listen to what he said, in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God is the source of all of our blessings, isn't He? Didn't James say every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights? And didn't the psalmist say, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings? So we have all this abundance we have been blessed immeasurably. And sadly, sometimes wealth, position, power, possessions, those things can create pride, arrogance, a lack of humility. And Paul here is saying you need to stay humble because humility keeps you grounded, doesn't it? Didn't Solomon say, trust in the Lord with all your heart? Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And what will happen? He said, He'll direct your paths. So, number one, staying humble. But then number two, he says, with regard to our wealth. We need to remember to be humble and then remember to be helpful. Look again at what he says. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, 
ready to give, willing to share. Let's just pause there for a minute. What Paul is saying is God has blessed you. And because God has blessed you, you can be a blessing to other people, can't you? I mean, isn't that fundamental to Christianity? Didn't Paul say in Galatians 6.10, As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those who are the household of faith? And didn't James write in James 1.27 saying, Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father, is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. In other words, render aid toward them. Help them. We have been immensely blessed in this life. And we're talking about a good life. You know, one of the things that, that we find out, when we share and care for other people, doesn't that leave you with a good feeling? Doesn't that enrich your life? Because you've been a blessing to somebody else. That's what Paul's talking about. Learn to be a giver, not just a taker. Jesus was a giver in life, wasn't He? I mentioned a moment ago where Luke said He went about doing good. Jesus was all about engaging in good, and He lifted up fallen humanity, didn't He? Jesus was interested in the physical plight of people. He was interested in their spiritual condition. He was concerned about their emotional state. Why? Great physician. Jesus Christ was interested in people, and as I said today, He invested in people. The ultimate investment. And so, Paul here discusses the danger of wealth. But then, Thirdly, let's talk for a minute or two about our duty in life. First, there is the vision of a Christian. You know, as God's people, we ought to be visionary, shouldn't we? We ought to be able to look out over the horizon and to see what lies before us and ahead. So number one, Paul says, you need to flee secular thinking. Now, pick up with me, if you would, in verse 11. Bearing in mind that Paul just talked about contentment and godliness with contentment is great gain, how we brought nothing into this world, we can't carry anything out, the danger of wealth and riches, and so in verse 11 he said, But you, O man of God, in contrast to those who might be seeking the things of this world, flee these things. In other words, that kind of secular thinking doesn't have a place in the life of a Christian, does it? I mean, you think about there's a, there is a war going on in this world. And the devil wants us to focus on the secular, doesn't he? The carnal. What the devil's saying to all of us is, look, you need to enjoy life because you're only here for a limited amount of time. It's all about you. Whatever you want, whatever you think. Hey, look, it's all, I mean, that's what you, if you want to do it, do it. If it's all about making money, if it's all about acquiring wealth or whatever, then go for it. And Paul is saying, you need to flee 
from secular thinking. The secular world, think about how much money is spent on advertising every day in America. Advertisers are constantly peddling the latest service, the latest gadget, the latest thing that you need to make your life better, right? But then he says you need to focus on spiritual things. So listen to him, verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Those are qualities that you cannot buy in a store. You can't order those on eBay, can you? They come from hard work, don't they? So you think about focusing on spiritual things. You remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 said, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We see a lot with a visible eye, don't we? And what Paul is saying is, don't fall into the trap of looking at only the here and now and forgetting about what lies ahead. You need to invest in spiritual thinking. I really believe if you look at the life of Paul and if you had the opportunity to just investigate his life, you'll see a man that was committed to spiritual living, spiritual thinking. For example, in Colossians chapter 3, didn't Paul say, If then you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, set your affection, set your mind on things above, not on things which are upon this earth. So first the vision of a Christian, and then secondly, the victory of a Christian. You mean to tell me that we can be victorious? Yes. Number one, Paul says, well, listen to him. Paul says, remember the battle. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Are we not involved in spiritual warfare? Yes, we are. And you know, Paul talked, about, Paul talked about being strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. The devil's going to do everything that he can to discourage and dismantle our faith. And what Paul is saying is we must wage a good warfare. We must fight the good fight of faith because as Peter would say, the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then secondly, remember your blessings. Listen to what he said. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Are we blessed? Yes. Are we blessed right now? Sure we are. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul talks about all the spiritual blessings we enjoy in Christ. The spiritual blessing that we have called eternal life lies before us. And Paul said that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. So you think about as a child of God, one of the things maybe to keep life into perspective, in perspective Remember our blessings now and remember our blessings that lie ahead. 
Didn't Jesus say in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Didn't Peter say that we have an inheritance? It is incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away. He said it is reserved in heaven for you. One day we'll be home. Until then, we fight the good fight of faith. We stay strong. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you're not a child of God, then you need to be. You need to be one of His children. How do you do that? You put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. The Hebrew writer said, without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. And then to repent, to turn from a life of sin, to confess His name before others, and then be buried with Him in baptism so that all our sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then the exhortation, be faithful until death. And here's what Jesus said, and I will give you the Stephanos. That is the victor's crown. The victory of a Christian, that's it, right there. Let's say you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, and you want the prayers of the church. We would be more than happy to pray with you and for you and listen, God will abundantly pardon. Maybe you're not enjoying a good life right now. And maybe you bought into the ways of the world and what the devil's offering. And now, in retrospect, you think, you know what? I need to get back on course. Tonight's the night. You can do that. John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come tonight as we stand and sing?